Welcome to Stacy on the Right, the podcast. And I'm so glad to have with me today Dr. Almeida Larwell. She is the CEO of a fantastic educational program. She's also an educator, pre-K through college. And she is extraordinarily well-traveled and spending time with us today to talk about education, how we can take it back for our kids and for the posterity of this country. Dr. Larwell, thank you for coming on today. Thank you, Stacey, for this opportunity to speak with you. So let's talk a little bit about, um, first of all, the premise. You have this book, which you were kind enough to send over to Family Vision Media, and I have a copy now. And the title is Mission Impossible Synergistic Academics, Saving U.S. Educational Exceptionalism. Uh, Why did you write the book? I wrote the book because I think the educational situation in the United States has become desperate and that there are so many crises within the system right now that we have to do something quickly to pull ourselves out of this tailspin. So when you talk about pulling ourselves out of the tailspin, and I think a lot of people, uh, parents especially, really feel this intensely. They're looking around, and especially after the pandemic, um, they've noticed the difference in what they thought their kids' education was and what it really is. And now they're looking for another option. And you you took the time to not only to write this book, but you have uh, something that you're working on on a daily basis, which is... It's, it's an opportunity for parents to grab hold and take education back to the place where the founders intended it, which is whether you're a farmer or a CEO or a physician, everyone has more than just a functional education, but a high-level understanding of the founding of this country, um, how to write, how to read, how to do math and, and calculate, and, and really how to live, even if you have the simplest of lifestyles, all the way up to something very complex and, and uh, with an advanced education. So can you talk to us about your um, what you're putting in the book as far as what parents can take away and use for themselves? Absolutely. Basically, my premise for parents who are feeling caught in this is that it doesn't matter if your child wants to be a an auto mechanic or a neurosurgeon. We give such an amazing foundational education to our students that the curriculum I have written is built on what I have developed as matrices. And the synergistic academics part of it is that Absolutely everything that we teach here is as interwoven as we can possibly make it. We work together as a team, and we view the whole child, um, not only academically, but physically and spiritually. We try to help nourish them in whatever area we can. But our academics are absolutely amazing. It's a very classical approach to education. And as I mentioned, even if your child wants to be an auto mechanic, when they're in their 30s or 40s and decide to join the local PTA or the village or city board, I want them to be able to speak about information, whether it be science or history, inventions, um, the fine arts, whatever it is, that they can speak with some knowledge that they don't appear to be extremely uneducated, that they have a grasp on life that helps them understand when they walk out the door, they have something to offer to society. Sometimes when 
First of all, after World War II, the United States virtually abandoned phonics. From that time on, reading scores have consistently gone down in the United States. Now, you might, as in the stock market, you might have a little spike here and there. You might have schools that maybe one or two grades will teach phonics, but we teach seven years of phonics. And our students already, sometimes they come in at the age, youngest age of four, and our students already, by the time they are six or seven, are reading with amazing articulation. Now, do they understand everything they read? At If they're reading, if they have reading attacks on words that can place them in at the age of seven in a middle school textbook, and that's, we use a middle school science program for pre-K in vocabulary for pre-K all the way through high school. It doesn't matter if a student's in AP biology or chemistry. We review all of the scientific basic vocabulary. So if a student at the age of seven has an ability to attack the words correctly and read with some fluidity, that doesn't mean they understand what they're reading, but we build a foundation for them that allows them to begin handling the vocabulary and relating that vocabulary, whether it be science, math, foreign languages, philosophy, literary classics, it doesn't matter. They have an ability to put their thoughts together, critically thinking, to an advantage that many students in the United States now for three generations have been actually cheated out of. Uh, and that's because the quality and content of the information coming to them has been so deteriorated and so misconfigured that there isn't that with my matrices and the curriculum that we use, it can be utilized either in another private school environment. My hope is to lease this concept throughout the United States, and actually the concept can be taught internationally. You just substitute uh, Korean history for our American history, and then world history is the same. So. These concepts can be implemented anywhere in the world, and students have years of advantages in testing and in ability to hold very advanced conversations in critical thinking at a very young age. So these prog the program can be made available throughout the United States, either in a private environment or I have thoughts in the book that I have approached business and the military to say, you all are complaining, legitimately so, over the last three decades that you cannot find enough qualified high school and university graduates in the United States. This is why, because the education has been dumbed down. And here is a program that if you were to set this program up as a private school or a school within your business or a school within your military, that you could have students prepared at a much younger age who could go in and work as interns or enlistees for two years to pay you back for the program that you have so graciously given them, and it comes out to be a fringe benefit for parents and a huge benefit in all kinds of ways for the students. So speaking of, because I, I think that as, as I'm flipping through the book, what strikes me is that you're talking about using 
foundational educational principles, um, th- things that used to be the norm until recently, until the second quarter of the 20th century. And you outline that here in the book. You talk about um, there that there used to just be, there was the Bible, obviously, patriotic writings, and those were among the first textbooks until the New England Primer, which was published in the late 1680s. And then those resources would build not only a foundation of intellect, but of traditional values as well. So the real issue here is that in in our effort as a country to get away from traditional values, we have then had to leave those same traditional methods of teaching. So a non-traditional nation that really frowns on and spits on our history and our founding will produce non-traditional learners who are then dumbed down to the point that they we in no way resemble the society that existed back when the Guffy, the McGuffey readers were the norm. Absolutely. Actually, it was with the end of World War II when phonics was abandoned and reading scores continued to go down that it. I kept wondering um, as I entered the program as a professional, well, why wouldn't teachers understand that if they've abandoned that and all of these new concepts are implemented, whether it's no child left behind or race to the top or whatever you want to call it, all with good intention, I think, but very badly implemented, tragically implemented to a loss, a great loss of our students. Why wouldn't society, or at least the educators of society, figure out that maybe phonics still needed a place in our education as we have now abandoned in many schools across the United States, teaching the multiplication tables because, oh, that's boring. Or we are rewriting American history and world history as we sit here. It has been rewritten rewritten so that not only do students not know uh, their history, because we've all heard the, the Jay Leno interviews or other people like that who have gone out on the street and said, and who is the first president of the United States? And you'll hear the response, oh, it was some woman or no, 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 it was Abraham Lincoln or so far off track. And, and I began thinking, why don't these students know their American history? Then as we had the riots begin over this last year, it, and I began researching more for my book, it occurred to me, our students have been taught to hate the United States now for three generations. No wonder they're acting the way they are out there. So this goes back to teaching traditional American history and not making the United States the, a vile country that they're trying to make us, and teaching the multiplication tables, teaching cursive writing. How will kids be able to sign a contract if they don't know how to write in cursive? So all of these small elements that have been taken from us and with the federal government takeover um, in the with President Johnson, the Elementary and Secondary Act, Education Act, that, that cleverly authorized federally funded education programs, and, which had previously been given locally, Although it was still administered by the states, it effectively shifted the decision-making from the local to the federal level, and parents did not have a clue that this was going on in their schools. So there's a a huge disconnect between what people think education in America is and what it really is. And when you say phonics, we've almost been trained to say, oh, phonics, well, that's old, that's, um, that's unworkable, 
certain kids can't learn phonics. In your experience, and you're, you are an experienced educator. You do not, you're, you're not like fresh out of, out of college or some teaching college. You're not new to this or bringing in, uh, uh, you know, concepts and ideas that are unproven. In your experience, are there children who cannot learn phonics? Because that's the chief criticism of phonics is some kids can't learn it. In my 50 years of teaching, I have never, ever found a student who couldn't understand phonics. We may not have to use different methods to get it across originally, but they've always responded to phonics. Just as, Stacy, as I've taught in, at the university level now foreign languages, Spanish and Italian, for over 50 years, when I first began teaching, it was an amazing opportunity. I was very, very young, just 21 when I first started teaching at the university level. But as I became older and more experienced, I began noticing there was a shift in the students that I was teaching. And all of a sudden, I found that, wow, they, they couldn't write a paragraph in English, let alone learning. The, so in my approach to teaching foreign languages, which is sometimes challenged, I have to do some teaching in English because students no longer know what a subordinate clause is, what the subjunctive mood is. So I have to teach English before I can even teach Spanish or Italian to them because they have no foundation on which to move through a foreign language. Certainly you can go down to Mexico, and I think Mexico is a wonderful country. You can, I studied there. But you can go down and live on the streets for six months a year, and you can speak Spanish, absolutely. But it's very unusual that you would have a good knowledge of being able to use all the tenses and the different moods of the language and modes of the language so that you have a much greater, and to not know necessarily the history of those countries is, I think, uh, a challenge and an unnecessary challenge for people because they should have had the foundation to begin with to build on those wonderful skills that they can then later enhance. So, Doctor, when they when let's say that that's the situation that you just just described, and you go back in and you teach them basic phonics so that they can begin to really um, understand how to manipulate another language, how to learn it, and how to utilize it. That that teaching, even if it's done later or remedial in, in a remedial fashion, once it's taught, then it becomes a part of your. It becomes a part of you. You can use it at any time. It's a, it's a new skill that you can use on everything, right? So this is something basic that everyone needs to have, but you don't even know you're missing it unless you then come across it and are taught it as as the students that you're speaking of. They're they're trying to learn a foreign language, but they have to go back and learn some basics about English first. Absolutely. We have a program here that we use with our early readers, our readers-to-be, that in addition to just basic phonics, it's a series called Max the Cat of 90 books, and they present eight pages of very short, maybe one, two, three maximum sentences at the most, um, to a page. So they have eight pages where they begin to teach short vowels, and then long vowels, all of these in context. And then they move into diphthongs and those kind of things. And we have children reading at the age of four, if not at four, definitely by five. And by the time they are six or seven, they can already read out of a middle school textbook. 
as I said before, do they understand what they're reading? No. But they do they have the reading skills to read it and begin working with the concepts? Absolutely they do. And this works, this would work even with adults in the United States who are illiterate, that they could begin with the Max the Cat series and learn how to read these 90 books by vowel approach. And then they can just take off and read the newspaper or articles or go on the computer and begin reading. It's really a very simple approach. And even though an adult of 60, 70 years old who might be illiterate might say, well, this is kid stuff. Well, that's where we all begin, especially in a foreign language. And if you can't read in English, it's like a foreign language to you. So you begin with a basic foundation and you build upon that but we have had students come through the academy in ninth grade already reading college 270 literary classics a year at the college level and studying 70 world philosophers 80 world philosophy pieces year after year after year there will be those who will say, well, that's boring if they're studying the same thing every year. No, each year as they read it and their life experiences are different, their perspective becomes different as they read these stories. And it's amazing to watch them begin connecting the dots with Aristotle and Plato and Freud and Carl Jung. It's just amazing to see what they can do in critical thinking. So the the difference is people can read, therefore, and, and with phonics, they not only can read, but later then they can think because they're able to break down words. You know, it, it, it becomes the building blocks of being able to create words and create language. But the, the thing that you've mentioned a couple of times here is that you have six-year-olds who can read at the eighth grade level. I, I remember being able to read books that I couldn't understand. And I remember going to the dictionary and looking up the words and then going back and reading the sentence again. And what happens is you're, what you're talking about takes education out of the hands of teachers who have to give students who've only been taught to memorize words. They have to then give you each little chunk at a time and whatever they choose not to give you is inaccessible to you. But with phonics, they're able to take control of their own education because at the point where they have a full knowledge and understanding of phonics and they can read at a higher level than where they can understand, they can then access um, the dictionary and look up words. And then the education is no longer solely in the hands of their teacher. Now, anytime that they're willing, they can look up words and add to their informational base. They can increase their knowledge on their own. So teachers aren't responsible for every little bit of what they learn as they are when it's just memorization of words where you have a limited number of words that you know until you're introduced to a new concept. Absolutely. And we actually help with the vocabulary development also, although you are absolutely right. We try to instill in them an interest and a zeal to learn on their own in addition to what we do with them. But we start them at a very young age, seven years old. They begin taking middle school science tests on a daily basis of vocabulary. Do they have a clue what they're doing? Absolutely not. They work through 15 to 20 words a night, but they're beginning to hear. They're beginning to see the words. They're beginning to hear the words and read the definitions sometimes with parental help, sometimes they're already on their own by the time they do these. But 
each year we have developed a year's worth of vocabulary, like as we do with spelling tests, we have the science vocabulary test. And it doesn't matter whether this child is seven years old taking this test for the first time or in AP biology. They have to take, not only are they studying their biology course, now they take these daily science vocabulary tests which cover all of science, at least to the extent of the vocabulary of thousands of words that we have for the year, they take that test to help refresh their memory and to keep moving them on. And they understand more and more and more about the vocabulary as they do daily science activities and experiments. It all builds on the ability to read, and that builds on phonics. So what is the answer here? Because I, I know um, this is a time in America where if if we've ever been in the modern era willing to consider other educational options, it's now. Parents are so frustrated with their kids zooming into school and virtual education or the limited number of days they're actually in seat in the classroom and the overall results. Involved parents find it hard to navigate today's public school system to get their kids, uh, keep them on grade level, keep them uh, you know, a, a focus of the teacher. The classroom sizes are too large. The teachers are distracted and they have so much other programming, character education, uh, time that they spend in their, their their buildings doing training on, you know, Marxism and race theory and Black Lives Matter. And so the focus is so disjointed. And parents, if they're looking for something else, you, you have this curriculum. Is it something that parents can teach their kids? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. I, although my hope was to lease it to much larger groups, um, as in schools of my suggestion would be that the school not be any larger than 500 students and that an administrator would have to participate in the actual teaching from time to time um, and that teachers would need to be trained with us, much like the Montessori teachers are trained with the Montessori system. Teachers would have to be trained with us first one year before they can implement this program because what happens is Somebody will say, oh, that sounds boring. I don't want to do that. Or, oh, well, we have something better that will fit here than there. No, this is very much like a Suzuki music program. Once you're in the program, you use the Suzuki music books. And when you can step out and enhance that instruction by studying classical composers who are much more advanced and, and do your uh, advance your own skills at a faster pace, but the core foundation is always through the Suzuki music program. That doesn't change. You can't alter that program and get the same effect. So parents can come together and form their own school, and I know that might sound a little intimidating, but if you don't take it into your own hands and you continue doing what you've been doing, you're going to continue to get the results you've been getting. <laughs> so I, it's so great to point that out. Honestly, we, we can't hear it enough. If we do the same things, we get the same results. If we change things, then we get different results. And for parents who feel um, intimidated, it's I, my comparison for this is 
that in every public school, every single building, you have a group of moms, usually. Sometimes it's moms and dads. And they are the most active parents in that building. And that group of parents are the ones who, you know, a few of them will run the PTO or the PTA. And a few of the other ones will do the events. Like there's, you know, the grade level events that kind of bring the kids together outside of school or in school, but outside of class time. Those same parents would exist in any group. There's always a group of people who will kind of say, oh, something needs doing, I'll do it. And before you know it, they're doing things on a regular basis until their kids, you know, move on. And then a new parent is already there waiting in the wings to take their place. So it's, you don't have to have every parent doing everything. You just need to form a group. And in that group, it's in any group of people, you're going to find some who will rise to the top and say, oh, I... I'll take that on. I or let me tell you how we should do this. <laughs> There's always not just one, but a group. Absolutely. So that's and, all you need. You know, absolutely. And you know, Stacy, uh, one of the biggest concerns and or complaints is that we don't offer extracurricular sports and activities here. But there are so many select teams now in ca- communities, and so many arts institutes and those kind of things. Although we offer art here, we don't offer plays or we don't have a band or we don't have a soccer team. But parents will find that the educational foundation that they give, and we don't press hours of homework, we figure if we can't get it accomplished here, I, I do expect homework from home, from our children who are in what we call level two, grades two through six. I expect about 30 minutes a night as they get into junior high, 45 minutes to an hour. As they get into high school, an hour and a half probably, two hours max, but probably an hour and a half a night. But there's, there are times then, and that gives time for them to go to their local select teams or go to the Ys or go to the youth philharmonics and continue all of those extracurricular activities and have an academic education that is absolutely amazing. So I I want to um, give people the opportunity to find your website. What what is the website, and where is your school located, the Larwell Academy? We are in Edwardsville, Illinois. And, Stacy, we ran our entire school year from August 3rd this year. We have been on site. We have been masked. We had a two-week online episode where we had one teacher who came down positive, but not a single student came positive or another teacher. Nobody else was affected, but we took our two-week leave of being on campus to doing online, and we're immediately back on campus in two weeks, and we have run the entire academic year on campus other than that. So we've had a great experience, and we're in Illinois, Edwardsville, Illinois, and they can go to www larwellacademy.org and find more information about us or how to contact me. I love it. Uh, So now that that we've covered all of this, and I think, you know, my recommendation is maybe listen to it twice because there's a lot of information here and you can find the link to purchase the book in the show notes. I'll add that so that people can get the book because this is really the foundation. Um, They read this book so they can understand 
everything that you've discussed here. And really, as I've been, you know, going through the book myself, one thing I noticed that is so pointed here is you, you actually catalog the loss of education over the decades to the point where we are, are, where we find ourselves now. And then the remedy, which is going back to the old ways and old methods, because if something's not broke, we don't need to fix it. And you're, you're basically re-implementing the original strategy, which is completely applicable to our modern child, our modern family, our modern living, and now getting results for kids in the real world today. That's proof positive that what you're sharing with us works. And I'm just so glad you could join us today and and share this. And my hope is that as we move forward with parents, especially looking for something that will work for their kids, something that will give them the education they need, that we are going to have more people adopt your concept, the Larwell curriculum concept, and have a a change in the tide of, of people growing up completely uneducated here in America, that we can put a stop to that. Hopefully so. Uh, just if I might mention at the very end here, Stacey, uh, two things. The book is available on Amazon and Ex Libris from the publishing company. But just the latest example was Common Core, the movement for Common Core. 46 or 47 states bought onto that concept immediately before they even knew what the curriculum was. Now we have 50 states who have taken strong oppositional standing to that, but it's $100 billion later. And think of all the children that were lost along the way. Well, uh, I, I think that we, the proof of how many were lost is evident in the streets of America, as you so aptly pointed out. Uh, people rioting and acting as if they have no uh, no ability to change their circumstances or the political world um, because they so rioting is the only answer is proof that they do not have an education they, they have no idea where they live they have no idea what means are available to them to affect change and so they simply act out as a toddler would and that's kind of insulting to toddlers to be quite factual Yes, because toddlers are nowhere near as destructive as what we're experiencing right now. So, <laughs> so I, I agree with you in the analogy, but yes, it is kind of insulting to the toddlers. It is, because you get hugs and kisses from the toddlers, and the, the rioters right. are just adults and not, not fun. Uh, so I, I want to say thank you, Dr. Almeida M. Larwell. Uh, you have created something, I think, that is going to be really impactful for Americans, and my hope is to share it and spread it as far and wide as possible and to get more parents um, feeling confident about what their kids are going to have access to, what what their kids' education can actually be and look like. Uh, I, I'm, I'm so excited about it. Um, thank you for joining us today. Thank you very much for this opportunity, and you and your listeners have a very blessed day. You as well. Thank you. So I want to share with you one more thing before we close out the podcast today, and that is our advertiser. We have our sponsor, the Affordable Healthcare Sharing Option, which is the Alliance for Shared Health. And if you are looking at the Affordable Care Act and thinking, I don't want Obamacare, or I'm not interested in, in using that service, or I don't want to support abortion, which to me should be our primary aim as Christians, not to sort support abortion, then you can go to StaceyOnTheRight.com or FamilyVisionMedia.org and click the banner ad for the Alliance for Shared Health to sign up for health sharing. It's a health share ministry with over 40,000 households participating. And then you get to share the financial burden of healthcare expenses, including need sharing for critical illness, accidents, dental, and vision. You can access the virtual care provider at zero cost, pick up your prescriptions from the pharmacy using the share prescription card, order lamp and imaging tests at discounts of up to 80%. 
Open enrollment is now, so don't miss out on the chance to save up to 70% on your monthly premiums and make a difference in the lives of others who share your values. Reach out to Ash today. Head over to StacyOnTheRight.com, click the banner ad, and sign up now. The Alliance for Shared Health. Changing healthcare, changing lives. So you can find out more about what we're doing at StacyOnTheRight.com. And it's been such a pleasure to be with you. I look forward to our next podcast.